What advice do you have for content creators in the sports card industry? Make content with words that you actually believe. I think the biggest issue I see with a lot of content creators is they're just looking to make content, so they're saying things maybe they don't maybe they don't even believe in that quarterback. They're saying it just because they need to make content. So the only thing I would say is make content you believe in. Attention is the number one asset. Gary Vaynerchuk. Welcome to the Sports Card Strategy Show and the NoOffSeason.com family. You and I have met a few times, man. Digital Uncorked, VoiceCon, and the last two years at the National. Tell the audience here, why is it important for you to take time out of your schedule as an entrepreneur and operator to attend the National every year? Uh, A, because I love it. Um, I think joy and happiness and doing things you like is important. Uh, Two, I believe that finding yourself in the trenches of any market is important and to me that's ground zero of the hobby. So I get a lot of value of getting a pulse of what's going on at the national and you know that's a very big and important thing for me and so those are the two things that stand out. Absolutely, I love that. So to that point, you were one of the first people outside the hobby back in say 2017 through 2019 roughly, talking about opportunities to make money flipping sports cards. Then, of course, a lot happened in 2020 and 2021. What opportunities do you see for our audience to make money flipping sports cards heading into the future? It's a forever genre. You know, I think what I saw in 18 was, huh, there's a lot of elements that I think are going to work here, which was, you know, basketball was exploding, so I felt like vintage basketball was an opportunity. There were some young superstars. The Kobe era was starting to, you know, change and the Giannis's of it all, things like that. Um, I also felt like basketball vintage was very underpriced against baseball vintage. You had 45-year-olds like me at the time um, having, you know, children that we're starting to hit that five, six, seven, eight-year-old age, so that kind of thing. Uh, social media created much more awareness. Pack-breaking was entertainment. There was just so many things that were obvious, and it was the 2017 National in Cleveland, or 18, I think, actually, that uh, in, you know, being on the ground there, I was able to see that it was coming. And so that's what I saw there. Now... So there was just a big underpriced across the board opportunity then. Obviously, a lot's changed since 18. Now it's more in the edges. Now it's, you know, uh, I always like, you know, I always like using real life examples. I bought a Bret Hart 87 Tops PSA 10 Pop 1 card this weekend at, I think, Golden's Auction. That is my belief that wrestling is underpriced. It continues to get more popular. It just merged with the UFC. I think it's gonna get more popular over the next decade. And Bret Hart is a true you know, top 50 wrestler of all time. And there's only one PSA 10 rookie card. That seems like a supply and demand opportunity. So I think, what do I see in opportunities of quote unquote flipping? You have to be smarter. There's the fun, opening wax, and of course you can get lucky. You can get lucky in anything. The lottery, a scratch-off ticket, a slot machine. But if we're talking strategic investing around collectibles, 
I think understanding your supply and demand. You know, one of the reasons I didn't buy any Zion rookie cards was I knew we're at the height of the hype. I knew that he was an injury risk because of his body shape, which turned out to be true. And I knew there was gonna be a billion of those fucking Prism rookie cards graded PSA 10, and that just becomes supply and demand, right? It's always supply and demand. And so I think there's a lot of smart people that are listening to this that are gonna figure out their supply and demand. And so you have to decide what people, what do you think people want and what, they, what do they not want. I think there's so much speculation in rookies and that's so hard, right? You speculate on Joe Burrow, you, he gets hurt this year, that's a tough market, right? Going even more emotional, I, emotionally I speculated on Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson. You know, usually when you invest with your heart, you're gonna get hurt. So I have a lot of those rookie cards, a lot more Sam than, I, than Zach, not because I believe in Zach any less, but, but because, you know, watching the market and knowing this from all the Brian Taylor and Todd Van Poppel and Mike Greenwell and Harold Miner and Rick Meyer, rookie cards that sit in my attic, I did all the speculating in the 90s. I think, what are the opportunities? See some edges that other people don't see. Um, you know, if you hear that, this is not true, I'm making this up. If you hear that Cal Ripken Jr. is running for governor of Maryland and you think he might win and eventually become president of the United States, well then all of a sudden Cal Ripken's 82 tops rookie cards are trade, you know, trade or whatever, you know, like become a, a little more interesting. Absolutely, 100%. We talk about the right card for the right player at the right time and it's just getting harder and harder to your point, so. I think it's easier and easier. I think it's easier if you think about it in a big way and harder if you think about it in speculating rookies. Yeah. Almost everybody is speculating rookies. New rookie comes out, you think they're gonna be great and it's a lot of high risk, high reward and a lot of money exchange. Meanwhile, I think Hall of Famers and icons that can switch into popular culture. Look, you know, I like being transparent. The other thing I've been spending a lot of time on is non-fictional characters. You know, I think that Optimus Prime is more likely relevant in 50 years than, than Ken Griffey Jr. I think that Roger Rabbit and Bugs Bunny and Batman, you know? And so I've been thinking a lot about that. Like, I think it's easier, not harder, if you take a more significant point of view. I'll give you a good one. Let me go sports, not weird. LeBron James. LeBron James is clearly this generation's Michael Jordan and, will, and people spend hours, you know how many hours will be spent debating who's better, LeBron and Jordan, or Jordan today? Like in barber shops and college dorm rooms. Thousands of hours. It's crazy. So to me, like I like LeBron because I have a feeling LeBron matters in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Not to mention LeBron has two children who both have aspirations. The young one especially seems like a very significant prospect. You know, so you know, LeBron's also proven that he cares about more than just basketball. So you can see him being a business icon, right? You know, you know but it's supply and demand. Shaq is all that and yet he was, his rookie cards are in the junk wax era and so they don't, besides the Beam Team Stadium Club one, they don't tend to, so this is the, like, I guess everything I've been saying here is like a, 
is like a, I'd like to think a more intellectual conversation about thinking about which cards could be interesting. But if you keep demand in mind and you complete supply in mind, um, I think you can make some really good decisions. And I think you gotta find timing. You gotta zig when everyone else is zagging. If the market's soft right now, Steph Curry is gonna be an icon forever. You know, like find your moment to make a real play for a Steph. Those kind of things is what I think about. Yeah, we love it. We talk about going where they ain't, and I think you just nailed that. And switching gears a little bit, uh, what advice do you have for content creators in the sports card industry? Make content with words that you actually believe. I think the biggest issue I see with a lot of content creators is they're just looking to make content, so they're saying things maybe they don't, maybe they don't even believe in that quarterback or that draft pick or even things they're saying. They're saying it just because they need to make content. So the only thing I would say is make content you believe in. So we know about your background with Vayner Sports, uh, with V Friends. What else do you have cooking up for the future related to cards and collectibles? I'm just in it. You know, I would say those are probably the two things you touched on the most. Those are probably two arenas that will keep me in trading cards the most. The sports agency business is always dealing with the paninis and the tops and all that of the world, upper decks and leafs and all that. So I'm always close that way. And then obviously what's behind me here, right there, like, you know, I'm really on this 50 year mission and obviously Pokemon is on a galaxy by itself, but I really, really am inspiring to make VFriends that significant. And you can see it on the eBay completed items. Like we've got some real momentum going and you know, it's early, we're a couple years in and it's gonna take a couple decades to really form out. But um, those are the two things I'm most focused on besides my personal collection, right? I literally bought a card yesterday or the day before that Bret Hart, you know? And so like, I'm still looking, I'm, I'm, I'm eating my own dog food. I'm trying to find my unique angles on things that I think are underpriced and I focus on pop count and I focus on where is there not as much demand as there might be in a year, three years, 10 years, 30 years. So the point about your personal collection, one thing I wanted to ask you is at what point do collectors become hoarders? How do you, how do you navigate your PC? How do you make your decisions with your PC? I just want to own it. I'm not overly worried about the, you know, I, I look at it as collection, not investment. And if I pass them on to my kids or grandkids or whatever fate has in store for me, I'm cool with that. And I'm also open to selling stuff in the future. If I look, if I'm 71 and the New York Jets are for sale and it's my moment and I have to liquidate every asset I have, I'll sell every fucking trading card I have because that's the moment. Um, or if I don't get lucky enough to put myself in striking distance of that professional dream, you know, I might be 80 and want to buy a ranch with 800 acres and just zen out there. And if the best liquid option I have is some trading cards, like I'm not against selling stuff. I really haven't sold anything since I've been back in this era publicly. A lot to do with being a public figure and I don't want to put myself or people in that curious of a spot. But, um, you know, I'm not worried about being a hoarder. Being a hoarder and a collector is the same exact word. (laughs) <laughs> Let there be no confusion. They're, they're one and the same. Like, point, you know what I mean, brother? They're one and the same. But I think people that put being a collector only on a pedestal need to give themselves some breathing room in case they ever want to sell something. And I think people that look at themselves as just flippers, it's okay to fall in love with a player or a collection and keep it forever. Everything's allowed. I'm running late for my next meeting. I got to run. We'll talk to you. Thanks so much, Gary. Take Appreciate care, you, man. Bye-bye.